You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will, please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. You'll be able to tell here that we've been skipping around just a little bit because of holidays and all these things. I had to skip this passage in chapter 2. And so chapter 2, verse 19 is where we're going to start today. Go to the end of the chapter. I just believe God's right on time, though, with this text. I think it'll be a good message for us all today. Notice how personal this is. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me In the gospel, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Very personal part of the letter. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Notice that, fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Verse 25 is packed with important words there. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So I receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled by your word. And we are reminded that you have worked throughout the years through humble servants. You have worked through your people to bring us grace and truth And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will encourage our hearts and remind us that we have a role to play, we have a job to do, we have a Lord to serve. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, my brothers and sisters, I sure hope that you want your life to count. We all need to be living our lives in such a way that we are able to bring a little bit of Christian beauty into the world. We want others to see the glory and beauty of Christ. And I want you to know that your life has an opportunity. In your life, there is an opportunity for a 100% unique expression of the Christian faith. Now, this is interesting because Many times in American, Western Christianity, we're always trying to say, um, you know, we need to be together, we need to be unified, we need to, to, to play as a team, because individualism is really kind of a, a problem for many of us in the church in America. But let me say this, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that God created you in a very, very unique way, some of you more unique than others, but anyway... Um, you know, we all have this, this role to play and this job to do that, quite frankly, God called you specifically for, okay? And so part of what we're trying to do today is connect with that, to believe that we are worthy in Christ, 
but even better, to connect with that role that we are uniquely gifted to fulfill in this world. When I was a young boy, there was this basketball player, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Michael Jordan. Um, you have to, you know, be such a student of the game to know Michael Jordan, right? Well, he was there playing with the Bulls and winning championships and all those things, and uh, he, he sort of took on the world by storm. I mean, we kind of live in a world today where we have all these mega superstar athletes, so we take it for granted today, but I, I think there was just something different about Michael Jordan. He did things that no one had ever done before, not just in the sport, but sort of in society. In fact, there were these ad campaigns for Nike where everybody was trying to be like Mike. Do some of you folks remember those ad campaigns to be like Mike? Well, in recent years, they've been, they've been doing some of these documentaries about Mike, and I'm telling you, I don't think you want to be like Mike in every way. He wasn't always the nicest guy, but if we take it back just to the sports, and we look at a man who was dedicated, if you were serious about athletics, if you were serious about school or anything else or your job, I mean, there was just something about the guy. He was always working harder than everybody else, and so in that way, you could point to him and say, be like that. Now, let me ask this question. At any point in your Christian life, has someone pointed in your direction and said, be like him? Be like her? Has anybody ever said that about you? There's this great little story told by D.A. Carson, who is a wonderful theologian, one of the best we have in the world today, alive today. And when he was an undergraduate student, he was doing a Bible study, and this young man came to the Bible study who came from a very good family, but a non-church family. And this young man, though, was very moral. He was not a believer, but he was searching and seeking and wanting to know more about Christ. Well, D.A. Carson, who is one of the greatest theological minds in the world today, at that time didn't feel worthy to disciple this guy, but he knew a graduate student who was a fantastic Christian and a great example. And so he took this young seeker to the graduate student who had a mature Christian faith, and the, the graduate student listened to this young man in his heart and, and, and realized that, that this guy truly was seeking the Lord. And so D.A. Carson tells it like this, that at some point in the conversation, the graduate student looked at the seeker and said this, if you are interested in becoming a Christian, watch me. Now, let that drop for, on your heart for a moment because can you imagine talking to someone, telling them that, that you are going to mentor them, but instead of saying, hey, yeah, sure, I'd like to have you walk alongside me in ministry, but the audacity to say, yeah, if you want to be a Christian, watch me. Let me ask, could, could you say that? Are you consistent enough to say that? Now, this young man, this graduate student, must have been pretty bold, but I want to tell you, he's right in line with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So to the Corinthians, he says, you are to imitate me as I imitate Christ. The only time a person can say, watch me, is if they are truly living for Jesus and filled with the Spirit of Christ. If you are walking with Jesus, if you are filled with the Spirit of Christ, it is okay to say, watch me me. It's not presumptuous at all. In fact, it's biblical. In fact, when we look at Paul here, he is not saying imitate me. He's already said that once in Philippians. He said it in 1 Corinthians. He says it in a few other places too. This is part of it. Discipleship is to find someone who's walking with Christ and then walk with them and, and, and um, mimic, if you will, if you can think of it that way, to copy those parts of their lives that are spirit-filled. That's the way it works. But here, we see Paul pointing to two others, 
two younger men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's saying, watch them, be like them. And here's why. Because we need to be in healthy environments. We need to be around good people because our spiritual gifts grow better in a healthy environment. We all sort of absorb our environment. I can remember in school, you know, the group you hung out with, if they had a certain kind of vocabulary, a certain kind of style, it's kind of interesting. You started talking like them and you started dressing like them. You know, and every teenage movie anymore, you know, you have these cliques and you see, you know, the preppies or the the nerds or whatever, and, and we laugh at that. But the truth is, we do kind of find that group and then we start to kind of copy. So that's human nature. The environment we're in matters. So we need to think about that in terms of what we're absorbing, but also what we're contributing. You see, it goes both ways. You, at some point in your life, you need to be someone who's not just absorbing. You need to be someone who is projecting. And I'm praying that what you're projecting is more of Christ because the environment matters. Even if you think about, like, like accents. My daughter lives in Chicago now, and so she called me, like, a, a week or two ago, and she was like, Dad, she almost sounded like she was angry with me. She said, I sound like a southerner, and they make fun of me up here. And I said, well, I get it. I understand. I've, I've had that problem, too, when I've traveled out of the south. And we just talk a little bit different. But those folks in Chicago, when they get to heaven and, and St. Peter says, how y'all doing? It'll be okay. It'll be all right. It's, it's okay. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, if, you're grown, if you've grown up in a western Kentucky, southern Illinois, like where I was, you have a certain kind of southern accent. Um, you know, if you're in the Boot Hill, that's another kind of accent. Uh, down further south, down in Texas, and Alabama, Mississippi. I don't know what that is, but I think it's an accent. Um, all these different things. Up north, they have an accent. Now, here's what's funny. They have really bad accents, I think, up north. I think, you know, that Swedish-German kind of background that you have up there, you know, it has a totally different accent. So I was, I, I was in a class years ago, and one of my professors had, had received his doctorate from the University of Michigan. He talked about a professor in linguistics, how um, every year at the beginning of the class, he'd have everybody in the class, he'd find out who the ones were from Michigan, because he was born and raised in Michigan, he knew everything about Michigan. So what he would do is he would have everybody read a few sentences um, and, and just, just talk. And almost every time, he could not only tell Uh, where the person was from in terms of the county they grew up in, but most of the time he could say which city they came from, all by their accent. Now, I want you to think about what your Christian accent sounds like. I want you to think about what you're projecting, because it's not just what we say, it's how we live. And the question is, are we not only putting ourselves in a healthy environment, but are we accentuating the health of that environment? Are we living a worthy life and creating a worthy environment? That is what we need to think about, these questions that that God wants us to consider here today. And I want you to see, there's only really one negative or warning passage in our text. It's verse 21. Take a look at it. And I want you to realize the only way you're going to mess this up is if you seek your own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. It boils down to this. If you want to be successful, if you want to successfully apply the message today, the only thing you've got to remember is don't be selfish. Don't be selfish and don't be unchristlike. But if you will be selfless, if you will be Christ-like, then I believe Timothy and Epaphroditus have something to teach us and I believe show us two broad categories of how we can live worthy 
Christian lives. First, let's talk about being like Timothy. Instead of being like Mike, let's be like Timothy. F.B. Meyer, an old commentator of the New Testament, said this. He said that he loved the Bible because the Bible is so divine, because it is so human. If you notice, if you look back with me at verses 19 through 30, there's a lot of, you know, just very human. Now, this is, this is a man talking about his friends, and he's talking to his friends in a church. Um, there's all kinds of very uh, personal data here in the text. And what we see when we read the Bible is, is we see that the Bible was populated, uh, the, the, the pages are populated with people just like us that have good parts and bad parts, uh, uh, pros and cons. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are here in our text, and they're lifted up as models. But let's just stop for a moment, because we want to be careful. Paul's not trying to lead us into, into hero worship here. In fact, when we study the scriptures closely, we see that both of these men were, were very, very human. In fact, Timothy is known in 1 Timothy 5.23 as the one with the weak stomach. So this is the guy you couldn't take you know, for Cajun food. Because, you know, his stomach would get upset. So one of the things we know about Timothy is he had a weak stomach and he was probably a little bit on the timid side. When Paul talks to him, you, you do get the father-son feel, but you also get the sense that Timothy needed one of those, you know, those speeches that dads have to give their sons every once in a while. Like, come on, boy, you got to get it going. Now, come on, you know, you got to be stronger than this. So Timothy had some, some timidity to him. And it's very clear we're going to see that Epaphroditus also was very sick. We saw it here in the text, and that's a very important part of our story for today because that sickness uh, shows a lot about his character. But what we see here is, is that even our human nature, the parts of us that, that we sometimes think of just like our human nature, God created us, and he formed us in our mother's wombs. I know it's not Mother's Day, but just think about you were created, fearfully, wonderfully made, and God loves you and has called you. But those human elements can be used either for the glory of God or they can cause for something far away from or very much uh, uh, the antithesis of the glory of God. You could do something very negative with those gifts. But if you'll notice here, let me just, it's a bit tangential to our discussion, but I want you to catch this with so many young families and young people in our room here today. I want you to hear this that both of these men had some physical ailments. And I, I don't think it's a mistake that that's mentioned in the text. I think that those who follow a suffering Messiah need to realize that sometimes we're going to suffer in this world. That, that to be a leader, sometimes to get to that next level of leadership, we have to go through some hard times. And so the best leaders are those who have suffered well for Jesus. And this is key. It's not just that you suffer, but that you learn to suffer well for Jesus. When you do dumb things and you suffer, there may not be a lot of redemption out of that. That's on you. But when you are trying your best to serve Jesus and you're sick, or you're trying your best to suffer or, or live for Jesus and people are rejecting you and you're emotionally and spiritually wounded, know this, that it does hurt. There's no escaping the fact that it hurts, but know that God may be taking you to the next level of leadership, that it's taking that difficult moment to get you where you need to go. Paul had not been at the church of Philippi for 10 years, and he still couldn't see them. There's joy in his writing, but there's also longing. He knows that he can't go. It's hard to get through TSA when you're a, you know, a criminal in chains. Now, Paul wasn't a criminal in, in any real sense, but he was a Christian, and in those days, to be a Christian was to be criminal, so he couldn't travel. 
So he's sending Timothy and he's sending Epaphroditus to go and speak for him. And he knows that he can do this because if you'll look here in verse 20, for I have no one like him. Paul says, I can't be with you, but I'm going to send someone unique in all the world. I'm sending you Timothy. There's nobody better, no one like him in all the world. We want you to hear him. And I believe that the reason why there's no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I think what Paul's saying there is, he's like me. He loves you. He's genuine. He cares about you. I can't be there, but Timothy can be there, and that is good. And this makes more sense in light of verse 21, because not everybody is out there serving Jesus for the sake of Jesus. There are some who seek their own interests. There are some who are not those of Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as we're going to see, are successful leaders in the church because they loved people. They lived their lives to make other lives better. So let's just pause for a second and let me ask, who around you could say that their life is better because you're in their life. Timothy and Epaphroditus were those kinds of people. And I want you to know a selfish, a selfish Christian is a contradiction in terms. You are not going to be successful in your walk if you are selfish. You have to die to self. And we know that, that, that Jesus... His success was tied to the fact that he was not selfish, that Philippians 2, 1 through 10 and following there show us through verse 11 that we are to be like Christ. And when we are most like Christ, we are sacrificing and giving our lives. And that's what lifts people up. It even lifts us up. Note also that this, this, this serving others is done for the sake of the gospel. It is in the gospel that Timothy has served. Look there at verse 22 at the end. He has served with me in the gospel. Hear this. There are many good deeds you can do out there to make the world a better place. But church, our job is to do those good deeds in the gospel these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were sold out to Jesus. And when you're sold out to Jesus, you're not trying to climb a ladder, but you're trying to go down in terms of serving. You need to have a passion. You've heard me talk about downward mobility. The church today needs people who are passionately willing to serve the body of Christ, the lost souls in our community. That's what we need as much as anything. And Timothy's compassion is evident here in the text. His compassion for people and his love for the gospel were driving forces in his life. Friends, you can't go wrong when you love people and preach the gospel. Now, let me just take a moment here to show that those are two sides of the same coin that in church, for our church to be successful, we have to balance those two priorities. 
In some churches, some churches love the community well, so they love people well. They do a lot of social type activities. That's what they celebrate. They celebrate the good deeds done in the community, but they're not faithful in proclaiming the gospel. They don't talk too much about heaven and hell. They don't talk too much about the need to, to exclusively turn to Jesus for salvation. On the other hand, you have some churches that, that every single thing they talk about is about a conversion and baptism and things of that nature, which that's, you know, many of us are saying, well, that's great. That's what we want. Absolutely. But, but because the focus is all evangelistic, they're not making disciples. They're not, they're not seeing that these souls need to be cared for and nurtured. And so you say, well, pastor, which one do we do? Well, we do both. We do both and we do them with all of our hearts. We never go wrong when we love people and preach the gospel. In fact, I would say that those two things just cannot be separated. And the church has to find that balance. And I think Timothy is a good example of that, of striving in his life for these two virtues, virtues to love people and to preach the gospel to them. Secondly, we would say we need to be like Epaphroditus. This is the hometown boy. He grew up in Philippi. Now, what's interesting is with Timothy, we, we have a little bit more of like a resume. You feel like that, that in some ways, Paul is, is trying to introduce uh, a little bit more of Timothy's virtues. With Epaphroditus, he, we get a little bit more of just what's been going on in his life. And it makes sense because he was a known quantity. And yet there's some powerful language here that tells us about who he is. Now, one of the things that we see about Epaphroditus is, is that he had worked so hard in ministry that he'd made himself sick. Now, we might say this, that you know, if you're working so much that you're making yourself sick, well, then that's not healthy. You're not finding good balance. You're not finding Sabbath. And some people might see this in Epaphroditus, but you're not, you're not looking closely enough because that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying Epaphroditus has worked himself uh, sick. If you'll notice, there's something even more powerful, profound, and beautiful happening. And it's all there in verse 30. Let me show you this very quickly. This is the key to understanding who this man was. It says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, I want you to hone in on that word risking, risking, risking his life. That is a gambler's term. I know that doesn't sound good, but Paul uses a gambler's term there for a reason. He's getting our attention. So when you study the history of the ancient world and the big cities of the ancient world, which Rome was the biggest of the big in the Western world anyway, you'll learn that every few years a plague would roll into town. And I, I have been to Rome in the summer. I can tell you it's miserably hot. I can tell you it is stifling. Um, it would not be a fun place to be um, in the summer when a plague uh, hit. So if you had any money in Rome back in the time of Christ, in the time of the apostle, you had any money at all, when it got hot in Rome and the plague set in, you went to your country villa. But the people who came to know Christ in those days didn't have country villas. They couldn't leave the city or the pestilence. They had to sit there and die a miserable death. Epaphroditus, we are told, risked something. What did he risk? He risked his health by staying in a plague-infested environment because people who were dying were dying alone. And this man said, I will be there for those who hurt. I will be there. And in so doing, he himself caught whatever it was that was the plague at that time. I think that's what you see happening here. 
This man gambled, but what did he gamble for? He gambled for the glory of Christ. He gave of himself to the point of near death so that others could be cared for. That says a lot about this man. Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow worker. Notice he's also called a fellow soldier. So we see that he doesn't just work, he's a soldier. Epaphroditus is the kind of person who doesn't squeeze ministry into his calendar when it's convenient. Epaphroditus is not the kind of person who is a fair-weather Christian and member of of the church. No, he is there every time the doors are open, but not just that. He's looking for the hard places to serve, and he serves. Epaphroditus is the man who would go to hard places for Jesus. We need people to receive the call to hard places today. We need more men like Epaphroditus who are saying, no, tell tell me where the hard place is, the difficult place, like the Caleb's of old. I want to go where the giants are. I want to fight where the the battle is at its hottest. That's where I want to be. Not all of us are called to do that, but some of us are. So we say, okay, pastor, how do we know if I'm a Timothy or an Epaphroditus? I don't know that I am that guy. Well, listen, if you're the type of person who takes risks at work, in other words, you're the guy that that is bold in vision, and you're the person who who will step out and, and make a statement when no one else will, that probably means you're an Epaphroditus. And if you're not living like that in your Christian faith, you are inconsistent. If you're willing to be bold in your your life apart from the church, but you're not bold at all in church, something isn't right. You were created to be bold, and yet you're not being bold for Jesus. And if that's you, it's time for a reckoning. Because you are not going to be the person God has called you to be as long as there's this disconnect You know who you are. You know how God made you. Even the the closest person to you, I've been married to Jenny for 25 years, and she can't know my heart fully in this way, but I know when I am growing. I know when I am serving. I know when I'm in step with the Lord. Then I know when I'm not. And I think the Lord has called many in this room to be the kind of bold Christian that Epaphroditus was. These are the people who will go to hard places and care for the sickest of the sick and the the most hurting people in the world. But you are making excuses for not doing that. You are setting it out. You are bold in every other way except for, for Jesus. And the Lord is telling you that that's not okay. Going to hard places is not easy. It's really hard when our children and our grandchildren feel called to those places. When I was a young man and I felt the Lord at work in my life, I, I didn't think about how my parents viewed you know, my adventures or where I was going to go. As soon as Avery uh, went off to Chicago and, and we moved her up there for the first time, and I remember getting in the car and driving home, I called my mom and dad and I said, I am so sorry. I didn't realize how hard this is. And I never once thought about what this did to you when I moved to Texas, and then I would talk about moving to Africa and all those things. Um, God shut that door, but, but I would just talk like that was normal. And, you know, my, my mom, I'm sure, would get up the phone and just cry or whatever, you know. And, and, it's, and it's tough. And now I look back and I realize that. But here's the deal. And what I want you to get is we must trust that God leads us, that wherever he leads us is the safest place we'll be. I just want you to know that as I'm talking about Hard times. Now, Timothy and Epaphroditus are two different 
uh, ministries. I'll show you that in just a second. But, but with Epaphroditus, when we see this bold kind of going into hard places, I realize that if you're here today, some of you are like, I can do this and I'm not afraid. But realize some of you have parents that are saying, I'm very much afraid. And I would say to all of you that the safest place to be is where the Lord wants you to be. He created you and he made you. He gave you gifts. Are those gifts being used to the utmost effect for the kingdom of God? What good is a soldier who never goes to battle? What good is a minister who never serves? Epaphroditus was a man who was willing to fight the good fight and to serve the Lord and to worship the Lord with all of his heart, mind, strength, and soul. Look at verse 28. I love this. I am the more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. So that's for them. And that I may be less anxious. I love this. You know, when I think about Paul, I don't think about a guy who's anxious much. Like you just get this idea that he just, he made decisions and did things and he wasn't worried about it. He just did it because he, you know, he's hearing from the Lord. He's writing scripture, you know, this guy's got it all figured out. Be anxious for nothing. And then he says, by the way, I'm anxious. He's very human here, isn't he? And I want you to think about this. Just think about this with me. It, it hit me this morning like a ton of bricks. Epaphroditus was a person that Paul had faith in. And he says, you know what? When I send him out, I am less anxious. And, and let me just ask this. When you walk into a room, do you make people less anxious or more anxious? Are, are, are you the type of person that like, like um, people would say, you know what? That person, you know, they're on the job, so I'm not going to worry about it. Or are you the kind of person where people are going, hey, are you okay? Hey, hey, have you burned anything down yet? Yeah. Let me just say this. Who you are in Christ. Okay? No excuses. Because we make excuses for the flesh too much. If we cause more stress than we remove, then something's wrong with our hearts. If we're the person, when we show up, that people are like, uh-oh, that's not okay. We're the person that people avoid talking to. That's not okay. That's something wrong with us. And I want you to see here that Epaphroditus was a man who was making a difference, a positive force wherever he went. He's a man who understood the power of the healing power of the gospel. Look at verse 26. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. One of the, the, the scholars that I read said that this particular phrasing of God having mercy is a hint that he had a miraculous healing. That God miraculously healed him through the, healed him through the power of prayer. And, and I think that there's something going on here that we need to realize that God still does do miracles. He still works through prayer. He rescues us. And here we have Epaphroditus, a man who was bold for Jesus, had got himself sick serving Jesus, and was miraculously healed. So the question is, is where do you land in all of this? Are you team Timothy or team Epaphroditus? Well, let me just summarize what I mean by that. Timothy is a model for those of us who have the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of teaching and preaching. People like Timothy make the church strong through discipleship and other life-on-life -life endeavors. 
To be like Timothy, we have to die daily to selfish interests and seek out the interest of others. Do you have gifts like Timothy? Have you lost your way? Be like Timothy and point to others and say, watch me, follow me as I follow Christ. Epaphroditus is a different kind of person and is a model for those who do also have the gift of mercy, but notice the gift of preaching and the gifts of healings and miracles, but also kind of this almost apostolic kind of gifting to go to hard places, to charge into the darkness, to be there with hurting people. These people, like Epaphroditus, will rush into war zones. They're looking for that hardest mission field. They are caring for the sickest of the sick. They are the warriors in the church that know that their place is the front line of battle. Do you have these gifts? Have you lost your way? Epaphroditus says, watch me. The truth is, is that most of us are somewhere between Timothy, who we would kind of characterize more as a mild minister, and Epaphroditus, who's more on the hot side, more, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the, I don't mean hot in any kind of weird way, but, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, on fire for Jesus in a way that everybody knows it. And then Timothy's the guy in the back, back, you know, of the room, making all the plans and making sure everything gets done. And I want to tell you, the church needs both of these personalities. Uh, it's okay if you lean one direction or the other. But my challenge to you today is this. If you know you have these gifts, and these gifts of grace are not being worked out in your life, why is it that you're not feeling the pressure? Why is it that you're not feeling burdened? Why is it that you just continue to float and worship a little here and go on a mission trip a little bit there? Why are you waiting and what are you waiting for? Are you worthy? No, you're not worthy. You're not worthy at all if it's just you and your abilities and your talents. But we believe that because of the fact that you believe that your sins were nailed to the cross and you bear them no more, you are worthy because Jesus died for you. You are worthy because he has gifted you and given you this opportunity. And it's time for you to receive that calling on your life. In fact, the world needs the best you, the most Christ-like you. But the real question is, is the world getting the best you? I think many of us know that the answer is no. And you are worthy. You were created for a purpose, and it's bigger than where you've landed. Some of you know this very deep down inside. And you're going to keep making excuses, even today. But let me say it again. The world needs you, the best you, the most Christ-like you. And you, you must stop following after your, the desires of your own heart. You have to stop making excuses for being less than who you are in Christ. Were worthy. Timothy, Epaphroditus, they were just regular guys filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are just regular people. Will you be filled with the Spirit? Let's pray. 
Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.